When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We are so glad to hang out with you this evening. This is our weekly listener mail segment. It's one of our favorite times of the week wherein we get to share stories with our fellow listeners. We are going to learn a little bit more about a situation in Canada that has uh, that, that we talked about in the past. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about DEFCON, which I'm quite excited to visit, or some version of me. Uh, we're going to talk about Paracusia, uh, some responses to the idea of hearing voices, some responses to the undersea cables and the vulnerabilities they pose for civilization and the Internet at large. Uh, we're going to start, I believe, with a story that we were grateful to receive. We recently did an episode on the concept of divine intervention, whether or not you find yourself a person of spiritual beliefs regardless of your your own school of metaphysical thought uh, we know that it is true the concept of divine intervention has fundamentally shaped human history and quite likely continues to do so in the present and in the future day so so maybe we start there Noel what what stood out to you about this one 
Um, I don't know. Let's just let's let's read it and then we'll uh, we'll kind of see what stands out about it to all of us. Um, I just I'm always fascinated by people's real life uh, encounters with the divine or something that they perceive to be the divine. And I think that's a big part of what that episode was, was the idea of stories and the idea of uh, people filtering their experiences through their beliefs. And, you know, results may vary. (laughs) But here we go. Uh, This comes to us from Leslie somewhere in Texas. Uh, I have been meditating since 1972. I'm not religious and did not become religious during any altered states. Just a profound love and oneness with everything. So would that be a divine intervention? After these experiences, my outlook on life was much different. In 1975, a book titled Life After Life, written by a psychiatrist, Dr. Raymond Moody, came out. Uh, It was one of the first books about near-death experiences. When I read the accounts of these patients, he interviewed documented cases of clinical death and recovery, I realized I had the same experience as these patients, but I just didn't die. Some of you guys that feel that those who make statements like this must have psychological problems, um... Must have never had anything like this happen to you. Uh, I studied personality disorders and drug abuse. I did an internship at the state hospital and a treatment center. I eventually was in charge doing uh, psychological testing on all the patients. In my training and work, I had to do the same testing on myself. So no, I don't have a personality disorder. Um, It was always encouraged to test yourself. I worked with psychologists throughout my time there because of all the testing on patients. I have talked to one female who told me about having extraordinary experiences. And unfortunately, she told her family. The family told her it was Satan. So she had been terrified of her experiences. How sad. Uh, Religion strikes again. I would say that my, quote, divine interventions were when my friends and I would drive a vehicle while intoxicated and not kill someone else or ourselves. Our asses were saved. (laughs) Uh, Leslie, somewhere in Texas. Um, The thing that stood out to me personally about this is the the, the the interpretation of what divine intervention can mean or messages from the divine can mean as as we found uh, in a lot of cases of you know prominent figures that expressed this um, and went in opposition to maybe the governing you know kind of status quo which usually was the church they would be uh, ostracized as being having de- de- demonic visions or demonic possession, like Joan of Arc, for example. So this idea of filtering experiences uh, through that lens can go both ways. You could say divine intervention is God stepping in and doing you a solid, or in the case of this uh, example that that Leslie gave, someone might say you are being uh, visited upon by you know the the damned. <laughs> You know, the the Lord of all evil, um, Satan himself. So, I mean, I, I know it, it's not a particularly long email, um, but I did think it, it would give us an opportunity to kind of chat a little bit about, you know, what some of these experiences might mean kind of in the modern day. You know, I'm really glad you brought this up, Noel, because we have received a, a lot of communication about this from from many of our fellow listeners who perhaps identify more on the skeptical side of things in in most of their experiences but as as we uh as we explored in our previous episode on divine intervention there are things that the human mind cannot yet rationally explain and it's it's a very nice compliment i would imagine to the earlier conversation exploration episode about 
auditory, verbal auditory hallucinations, hearing voices, you know, because it's easy. I was re-listening to an episode we did recently about the um, companies that were started by cults, uh, our Mm -hmm. newest iteration of that. And there was a great point. I believe you originally raised it, Noel, uh, about what defines the C word? What makes something a cult? Uh, is it one? Uh, I think I said if there was just one guy who was Buddhist, I guess he would be Buddha. Uh, then people would treat him like he was crazy until he got millions of people to agree with him. And with divine intervention versus auditory hallucination, maybe we see uh, we see a similar process, right? It is only after Joan of Arc successfully executes several stunning military campaigns that people begin to say perhaps a supernatural, heavenly, celestial force is intervening. And Leslie, to your point, I love that. I, I love that idea of day-to-day divine intervention, driving under the influence, no one dies, you know? Maybe, well, yeah. and obviously this is someone reflecting back on their perhaps uh, misspent youth, right? You know, right, that they survived. For sure. Um, you know, and this did get me kind of digging through our inbox for some other accounts of divine intervention. Ooh, yeah, and yeah, I, did, yeah. I did find one more that I'd love to, to add uh, to, the, to the pod, if I could, from Uncle Bosco. Yes. Um, hey, Matt, Nolan, Ben, I hope you are all well. I grew up in an atheist home. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, but not in a way associated with any Christian trappings, uh, hung on these pagan celebrations. I've never believed in a divine spirit or angels or demons or what have you. I still don't. That said, two things have happened in my life that I cannot explain. I've talked about both and most people either don't believe me or say they were divine or angelic interventions. Incident one. It was June 1983. I grew up on an 11-acre farm, and our house was on the northwest corner. The school bus dropped me off at the southeast corner of the farm, and I'd walk through the fields and pasture to get home. My dad and grandfather were building a new house near where the bus dropped me off. Walking by one day from the school bus, I saw the stud walls had been put up. I was a curious, soon-to-be 13-year-old, and had been warned that construction sites could be hazardous, so to only get close if my dad or grandfather were around. They were not around, and curiosity got the better of me. I was wandering around, looking at how everything was put together, and I walked backwards into the hole in the floor where the stairs to the basement would go. I fell in slow motion and realized that the basement's concrete floor had been poured that day. I remember thinking how angry everyone would be when I ruined the concrete by falling into it. Then I saw my brown Adidas gym bag in my hand and feared it getting ruined by wet concrete. When my chin was about level with the plywood subfloor of the main floor, I stopped falling and was lifted to a sitting position on the edge of the hole. As I was being lifted and set down, I heard a soft whisper say, it's not your time yet. It freaked the shit out of me, and I only went back to the house when my family moved in later that summer. I told one of my friends the next day, and he thought I had made the story up. I only spoke of it again when I was about 25. I told my parents, and they both said that I had likely started to fall, but caught myself and pulled myself up. Maybe, but not likely with a gym bag with books and gym clothes. I'm aware of our mind's ability to change events and create false memories, and so I more or less chalked that event up to a false memory. Um, we've got another incident here, but I'm just going to stick with the one since we already had the other email, but that's pretty cool. I would say coming from an, uh, uh, you know, a self professed skeptic and atheist, 
You know, why bother making up a tale like that? I mean, again, he talks about the false memory, but the, that's pretty significant uh, false memory, you know, especially with the whole whispered, you know, it's not your time yet thing. What do you guys think of that? I don't even know what to say. I think the gym bag saved you, Bosco. There you go. Somehow the gym bag attached to a spring mechanism, unbeknownst to you, within. <laughs> Why do you sound like you're twirling a mustache, man? Go, I, I go, gadget gym bag. No, I, I have no idea. That's that's uh, that's it's, crazy. It's also it's also true. Again, you know, um, I guess maybe we we owe a bit of a mea culpa here. Uh, to Leslie as well, our earlier conspiracy realist, in that we said there might be psychological issues at play, Leslie. We did not say in any case there must be. Uh, we also, with your story, Uncle Bosco, pleasure to meet you, bro. Uh, we, we, also, um, we also, I think, share a commonality in these experiences. There are certain events that upon retrospect, even knowing memory is somewhat treacherous, there are certain events that simply defy plausible explanation, right? And they stick with you. Uh, there, the, it's, it's strange to me that the line of demarcation between the quote-unquote true believers and the quote-unquote skeptics, it's not whether or not they had a moment like this. It is how they interpret it. So exactly. we, we've seen people who identify themselves as, you know, very zealous skeptics to the point where they're basically another version of fundamentalist religious types. Uh, and, they, and they'll say, well, yeah, this happened, but here's why it happened. And I know for sure it wasn't something I can't explain. But are they also just reaching for a rationalization? Because one thing both sides of those spectrums have whenever these events occur is a dearth of proof, a lack of proof confirming their opinion or interpretation. Absolutely uh, valid. Um, I, I completely see where you're coming from. Um, I do feel like it is this second one is almost too good not to at least mention. Um, I'm going to try to paraphrase it. It is a little bit longer. But in late spring 2015, I'm doing some yard work and my wife and kids are out and we don't really have any neighbors close enough to see as I'm raking leaves. Uh, I see a person standing near the edge of our property about 200 feet from me. I turn to look at the person and there's no one there. Um, weird, but there are wild animals in the area and there was a bit of a breeze. So perhaps my eyes were playing tricks on me over the next four months. I continue to see a figure in my peripheral vision while I'm in my backyard alone. Every two to three weeks, this would happen. The difference is each time the figure is closer and closer to me. In August, I finally get a halfway decent view of the figure. It's about six feet tall in a deeply pleated robe with the hood covering the face and is holding its arms at about a 45-degree angle from its legs. I nearly pooped my pants. Um, that's me editorializing. Uh, it's about 30 feet from me, and once again, I register the details of what I'm looking at, uh, and it disappears. Um, I think about telling my wife, but concerned she'll think I'm insane. Uh, in September, I start smelling smoke when there is none. I start thinking that the figure I've been seeing and the smoke smell are signs of a serious medical issue. I go to see my doctor and get a CT scan and a battery of tests. Um, on October 1st, I was raking leaves and I hear a whisper saying, be prepared. And I turn to see the road figure. I cough from the smell of smoke and the figure is gone. 
On the 2nd, I received a call from my doctor's office telling me all my test results were normal. The next morning, October 3rd, I awoke to my phone ringing. My dad was in the hospital, dying, and I needed to leave now to see him if I wanted to say goodbye. He died an hour after I arrived. When I was taking the personal effects home from the hospital, I was overwhelmed by the smell of cigarette smoke coming from his jacket. He was a lifelong smoker, and by the cigarette butts in the driveway of his home, apparently was chain-smoking while waiting for the ambulance to come get him. I've not seen the road figure since. I've not smelled phantom smoke since. That was just a particularly eerie one. Um, you know, we talked about uh, examples of folks receiving information, you know, that led to them making a decision that was meaningful. So this, I just thought this was a really good one. But uh, thank you to Leslie and uh, Uncle Bosco for those uh, accounts of, uh, of divine intervention. Let's take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more messages from you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424. Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back and we're jumping to the phone lines. Remember, you can call us just like everybody else that has. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. It's a voicemail. Leave one. And we might play it. 
on one of these episodes. Here we go. This message comes from Green Garnet, and it is regarding our episode on hearing voices. Hey, everybody. Um, You can call me Green Garnet. I'm calling because uh, I just felt compelled to share a little tiny bit with you about hearing voices. Um, When I was a little kid in the 70s and 80s, we lived in a house that was a really big old house from the 1920s. And I would hear voices, but I couldn't make out what they were saying. I didn't feel like they were talking to me. Uh, just sounded like mumbling a lot of times or like through the wall kind of conversation. I didn't think very much of it. I didn't, it didn't scare me or anything like that. It was just like something that happened sometimes. Except for uh, one night where it was really kind of like escalated. I woke up and I, so it was kind of like after a dream, but I could still, or whatever, I don't know if it was from a dream or what, but I could hear downstairs because our bedroom was on the second floor downstairs I could hear this voice coming just yell kind of talking really loud saying hey 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 and uh, it was really loud and it didn't go away and I started getting scared somebody was actually really downstairs and woke up my dad to go check and see I was so sure somebody was down there um, of course he came back up there wasn't and that that noise had stopped um, and there's no really interesting resolution or other story about it except for that I don't know if it's related but my uh when I was growing up I had like this imaginary friend and her boyfriend but they were like adults I didn't really play with them I just like knew them if that makes sense uh Rosie and Steve and um I never heard those voices or saw the friend and her boyfriend ever again once we left the house so I'm wondering if this is something a little more related to a house thing and the, its energy or some, I don't know. Anyway, interesting story. Not super interesting, though. Not as interesting as your your show was. But at least you have another data point and another story to add to your collection of hearing voices. I really look forward to your show almost every day. I work in a lab, and sometimes um, it's, there's a lot of monotony, and being able to listen to you guys while I'm doing the work is really, really fun. Thanks for uh, doing all the work that you do, and hope you're having a great day or a great night. Bye. Wow, guys. Okay, we got to talk about this. What do, what do you think? Imaginary friends. Did you guys have any? Oh, geez. Is that too nah. personal? I know we're we're just coworkers. So well, no. I, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I was a. I think I, I was the only child, and um, I did. I, I wish I did. It seems really cool. You know, like um, I really love the movie uh, Inside Out. You know, you know, there's that whole thing with like Bing Bong, the imaginary friend, the like pink elephant creature. Uh, Drop Dead Fred. Drop Dead Fred. That's right. Yeah. That guy was a psychopath, though. <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good friend at all. He was um, rambunctious. <laughs> oh, man. Um, man, no, no. I just yeah. I think that's, you know, it's funny, though, that didn't really come up in the episode. But the idea of imaginary friends is a lot like hearing voices in, yeah. in, in a sense, you know, and, and sometimes you have to wonder how do these imaginary friends manifest themselves, you know, in the mind of a child versus the interpretation of an adult about what it was like when they were a child. Well, yeah, they're at the risk. I'm, I'm going to talk for a little bit. You guys just interrupt me because I've got so many thoughts on this. Uh, Please. The, the first one is I didn't have an imaginary friend that I can remember. 
which is really important, right? Oh, I, is, I, yeah. I don't recollect having an imaginary friend. I remember Teddy Ruxpin and him whispering things to me through his tapes. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, the important thing there is that maybe I did have an imaginary friend that I was interacting with at some point, but when I got older, either I put that away or it's hidden somewhere in the back of my mind. That is the weird thing about our minds, right? They are pretty pliable at times and we can if we go through something especially traumatic we can kind of forget some stuff and then maybe have to come back to it or rediscover it later either accidentally or on purpose yeah and uh an unethical or incompetent uh (laughs) right kind of mentalist or a therapist could also uh sort of incept us with the idea Right through via hypnotic regression or any other techniques similar. Exactly. Shout there's out all Darren co- Brown. Yeah, dude. There's weird Love stuff that can occur up in this closed closet of a brain skull thing. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> that is the technical term, folks. <laughs> that made That's me smile, Matt. That was, that was lovely. This closed. Yeah. Uh, read read Matt's papers on JAMA. You know, oh man, I have so many on there. Journal. Yeah. I just flood that thing. It's like yeah. a mud flood. Of, <laughs> uh, sorry. That's I, your I'm, hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. All right. So wait, but this idea though, imaginary friends, right? Yeah. So that is what intrigued me the most about Green Garnet's story. Uh, the concept of as a child, maybe having interactions with, you go on a limb a little bit thinking about this, but maybe with some kind of spirit or leftover energy that was in this 1920s house and as a child for one reason or another she's more attuned to them and has interactions with rosie and steve uh, you know as this uh this person and her boyfriend and she can see them she can hear them there's interaction there but then as she gets older they're still there but for some reason the changes in our minds in our brains physiological changes as we grow older it won't allow for her to see them and experience them as she once did. Oh, the accumulation of fluoride. I'm kidding. It's I'm kidding. definitely I'm fluoride. Kidding. I'm kidding. Calcification of your Don't pineal write, glands. Don't write the email. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe something does change over time. Again, mm-hmm. there aren't there aren't studies on this because how do you how do you get taken seriously and get funding to do a study on um, do we are do our brains change in a way that our imaginary friends are no longer accessible over time do our antenna attenuate yeah good luck good yeah. luck uh getting funding for that but that to me is a really intriguing concept and i wonder if there's anyone else out there who's had us uh maybe a similar thing where there was to your recollection an imaginary friend with whom you had interactions, at least to you, right? And then over time, you either gradually lose that connection, or is there one day when it just stops? Mm-hmm. Can you even recall that? Is it possible to recall that moment if you are now, you know, in your 30s, let's say, and you interacted with an imaginary friend at five or six, sure. something like that? It's interesting you say this, Matt, because uh, typically, and you may find this a fascination as well, Green Garnet. Typically, when people talk about having an imaginary friend, the they are not able to bring up a specific moment where it said goodbye, right? Or or said, <laughs> I'm going to go in the background because you brush your teeth too much or whatever. But I, 
All right, I'm letting that joke go. Uh, the <laughs> the idea, um, typically what happens is it seems somewhere in adolescence, uh, perhaps targeted as close as a summer, so a time window of, let's say, three to four months. Then it gradually fades out as new external stimuli are introduced. Now, obviously, I have to recuse myself because I have been the imaginary friend of several different people. Uh, but the, uh, but the, um, the idea here is, I think, really fascinating because it goes back to our concepts of cultural framing for an experience, right? Mm. I hear a voice. I hear it multiple times. It feels like it's the same voice. How do I phrase it? It's clearly not, you know, a thing like a, it's not a nefarious force. It's not sinister. It's not in the bed or in the closet waiting to get me. It's it, in the walls. It's in the walls where all the good friends <laughs> hide. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, it's also one of our collective dreams to take, to, to do a fun improv thing together. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's food for thought for sure. Because to your point, Matt, and to your point, Green Garnet, I imagine that there are quite a few people with uh, with something like the quote unquote imaginary friend experience. Um, also, uh, being an only child like you, Noel, uh, there's this tendency to make one's own inner universe. It applies to all people, yeah. but in the formative age of of, of the humans, there's. Uh, there's a special particular emphasis on internal world building when one does not have siblings. Mm. So it's kind of like when Fred Savage is looking down at the pile of laundry and then the pile of laundry becomes, you know, Howie Mandel as Maurice. And <laughs> then he proceeds to go underneath the bed down into an entire imaginary world. And what his was brother, that, little monsters, little yeah, monsters. His, his brother Ben Savage is like, nah, man, there's no monsters under your bed. And then Ben thinking, gets pulled down into the world. And then Fred's got to save Ben. It's just crazy, man. I was thinking that was sort of an imaginary friend's story, uh, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I don't know that one as well as right. Right said Fred, <laughs> drop dead Fred. <laughs> but Very what, different. They're, well, they're <laughs> all in the same universe. We're this. doing an MC. CU for everything now. Yeah. So, drop dead Fred, little monsters, and right said Fred, the catwalk guy. Yes, all, all yes. the same. And if you're into this kind of stuff, uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends is a great cartoon. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, good, good one to watch with your kids, and it definitely talks about a lot of the same stuff that those movies do, but in a little bit more of an absurdist, childlike fashion. But what I'm saying, guys, is that we're all Ben Savage until our pile of laundry becomes Howie Mandel. Okay. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I'm a big From fan of your articles in JAMA, Matt. Just so <laughs> Thanks, you know. man. I'm really, I'm really glad somebody reads them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Check out our, check out our earlier episode on academic journals. If we've done that one. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but also uh, something important to note uh, that may be of interest to not uh, to green garnet to you as well. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on this folks. The concept of imaginary friends generally in in the world of psychoanalysis, uh, they will not arrive from a vacuum. They will be 
descended from something, you know, like uh, like in a Christmas story, uh, the the kid loves little orphan Annie and is going to get a uh, decoder, decoder ring. ring. Yeah. Right? Spoiler, it's an advertisement, but it's a good advertisement. And I, I'm wondering, this is a question for all of us uh, playing along at home this evening. Is an imaginary friend a, a predecessor of the parasocial relationship tendency? Go on. Someone who... Well, I don't know because parasocial being someone who kind of is is clingy. Uh, maybe, parasocial yeah. being parasocial being the tendency that humans have to um, be quote unquote like to be psychologically or consciously with someone, yeah, like a celebrity, yeah. and then to feel that uh, there is a closer personal relationship. Oh. Dude, social media is imaginary friends for days. Podcasts are imaginary friends. I mean, but they're not imaginary, but they fill the same need. We just have technology now where people can have 10 different flavors of imaginary friend. You know, I, Guys, I don't know. I feel like Conan is probably my friend. He made a whole podcast with he friend in friends. the title. He I'm needs glad you, I'm, thank you for stepping up, man. You know, good on you, Matt. Uh, <laughs> I really do love that podcast. It is so good. It, Conan's a Conan's a legend. Everybody, everybody knows that he um, needs to stop texting as often. But otherwise, great dude for sure. <laughs> Definitely needs to stop texting while driving, Conan. That's dangerous and against the law. Knock it off. Seriously, his meme game is tight though. Oh yeah, uh, but Leslie, uh, you know knows uh, our last emailer leslie knows you cannot do that texting and driving is dangerous nope um, leslie by the way also didn't like hugs i don't know if you guys remember a long time ago leslie wrote in our previous emailer that we just talked about she wrote to tell us she does not like hugs and she refuses to to hug anything that's not a cute animal i, I don't know like why i recall presumptuous that. you know it can be they can be i don't like it i remember you yeah uh, that's why for you guys i'll do it but uh, <laughs> but, I, but I feel you twitch while I'm holding you close. <laughs> I'm a little bit militant about it. I'm like, here we are. I totally am guilty of doing the three taps. The twitch is what it's all about. But, uh, That's how you know it took. <laughs> That's how you know the hug took. Oh, God. Oh, all right. spasms. I'm calling well, I, HR. <laughs> you should. Uh, thank you so much, Green Garnet, for writing in with that experience. Uh, yeah, we, we love hearing those kind of stories. If anyone else has one like that, we'd love to hear it as well. We'll be right back with more messages from you. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. 
Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we have returned. Never fear, fellow conspiracy realist. I obviously did not call HR because I don't like calling people. Uh, so we got a... Uh, we received something that I think was very illuminating slash disturbing. I want to talk about real quick from our pal Rich, fellow conspiracy realist Rich in Southern Alberta. Being that Southern Alberta is in Canada, Rich is still more of a Yankee than we are. Uh, Rich says, hello, gentlemen. If you like, you can read this email for the show and refer to me as Rich from Southern Alberta. Got your back, Rich. Done. Rich says, I just finished listening to your strange news segment talking about the so-called Queen of Canada. And as a resident of southern Alberta near the Saskatchewan border, my ears perked up when you mentioned Ramona DiDulo. The article you referenced in the show made the situation seem very minor and somewhat comical, not much more than a nuisance. But I can assure you that is far from the truth. I've included a link to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation article written just a few days ago that should answer some of your questions and let you know just how serious the situation is and how potentially dangerous this cult may be. Spoiler alert, it includes threats of public execution. I hope that you find this email helpful and the article informative. Best wishes from Rich in Southern Alberta. Uh, real quick, before we get into this, I want to thank Doc Holliday, Matt, and Noel for putting up with me having to do a couple takes of that one. I don't know why that became a tongue twister. Southern Alberta near the Saskatchewan border. You got it, dude. That's a toughie. Well, it took me four tries. All right, so long-time conspiracy realist, uh, if you tuned in to our previous uh, Strange News and Listener Mail segments, which, again, we welcome. We do this every week. Uh, please join us next week as well. 
we talked about something that Noel, you in particular have been following. You you hipped us when you found a Vice article way back about the so-called QAnon queen. Uh, Ramona Dedulo has self-appointed as the matriarch, the monarch of Canada, which is very interesting to the good people of Canada who already had their own government and are <laughs> part of the, you know, part of the British Empire. Yes. And I, I do want to say that maybe the article that I referenced um, was downplaying things a little bit. I didn't really think so. And I also felt like we were all kind of being visibly freaked out by the potential for this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because there was the whole like surveillance, like people on the roofs and stuff. And there was a lot of veiled threats. Um, yeah. I, I, it, it, so yeah. I'm, I'm interested to hear what this next level is of maybe <laughs> de pulling the veil back on some of these threats. Perhaps. Yeah. I think also what we did in terms of uh, the concept of being somewhat comedic about it is we were pointing out just how very kind people tend to be in most rural environments in the West. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you if you went to the a lot of the Midwest in the United States and you were in a small town and you took over like an abandoned barn or a shed, then what would happen is someone would show up and they would tell you to get out, but they would also probably check if you needed snacks. Yeah, like show up with a casserole like, you know, also you're not supposed to be here. So when we were being a bit um, comedic, we're not being dismissive. And to uh, Noel's point there, we have one reason we keep coming back to this person and their followers is because there seems to be a growing danger, right? There's something there's something reaching a boil is the problem. And this happens with, you know, this happens with your Koreshes. This happens with your Bundy, uh, with the Amons. This happens with your Jim Joneses. We mentioned all of those, too, on the episode, that it was feeling like it was inching towards that kind of standoff situation. Sorry, I'm not, like, trying to defend ourselves. I just felt like I, I really did. I think we all felt like this was like, uh, what's the word? A um, powder keg type situation. Well, see, now, here's the problem. She- this person is probably talking directly to me because in my mind, seriously, I viewed, I viewed that group a lot as a nuisance as in a, you know, a group that's traveling through to different towns because nobody wants them there and they're kind of keeping to themselves. And I saw it as the town kind of saying, Hey, get out. Like, Mm -hmm. come on, we don't, we don't want y'all here. And I was thinking about solutions that the town could come up with to just force them out. But I didn't think about the things that are in this article that was shared by our listener. Yeah. So let's go to this article. Let's uh, shout Laura Scarpioletti. And uh, pardon my pronunciation here. Laura is a journalist for the CBC and links us to this article. The headline involves the concept of public executions. And what, what we see here are mentions of several things we pointed out previously, the militarization of a cult that is, or a cultic movement that is becoming increasingly, it's trending in a bad direction. It's trending toward the us versus them, the delusions of grandeur, 
the apocalyptic reckonings and predictions that are common to all sorts of ultimately unsustainable ideological movements. The CBC article directly references a letter that the group sent to the mayor, the village counselors, members of the fire department, members of the mounted police, and a school teacher named them specifically, accused them of corruption, bullying, and stalking, and said the following. If the village does not follow the decrees of the queen, they will receive judgment. And if they are, quote, found guilty of crimes against humanity or treason, they will face publicly broadcast execution upon yourselves and undeserved devastation upon your children, grandchildren, and families. Continues, be forewarned, WTP, we the people. You like the nomenclature? We, we got the acronyms going. They, uh, we the people, WTP, are now watching you with open eyes. The curtain is drawn. Your future is in your hands. So these folks uh, in the village council, they call a meeting after the letter work uh, comes out. The mayor's there. They're disgusted. They're scared. People are staying in their houses more often. This is dangerous Stuff. Uh, the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, have uh, opened a temporary detachment there in Richmond, in this rural town. And I think it's important to to note that this may be something. Hopefully, this situation resolves peacefully. But what do you think, guys? I, I don't think Noel, you're too far off in calling it a powder keg because clearly, look, cultic organizations like this—they're like fascism. They need an enemy. They need a timeline, right, to rationalize the increased control uh, over the followers. So what will happen? Well, there's definitely no quiet de-escalation in that event, right? The queen doesn't gradually say, oh, well, maybe I'm not the queen. Oh, well... You know, I haven't been the queen for a while. Guys, I'm not the queen anymore. You know, no, <laughs> she, she, she's more on the off with their heads mode. I would yeah. Say. yeah. Either I am the queen or I am not the queen. Right. And until and right now I am the queen. And if you say I'm not right, you're going to have to dethrone me kind of thing is what it sounds like, feels like. Um, but again, how do you with the thought of tanks? essentially act as flamethrowers that we have seen in the past. Like, how do you not expect some kind of devastating force to be brought down upon you if you were threatening an entire town of people, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Occupying a a publicly owned building, right? Like taking over a school. But if you're threatening... I didn't know about these threats is what I guess I'm saying see, overall yeah. in this. Like I didn't realize they were calling for the deaths of specific people as well as anybody that they find to be breaking the rules that they set, you know, mm-hmm. which um, those people did not agree to. They did not vote for this uh, whew, pretender to the throne. I'm not being I'm not being a jerk. That is the name. That is yeah. the term used when one person says they're a monarch and someone else already considers themselves a monarch. I'm just putting that out there. Not <laughs> just being letting that one sit. <laughs> yeah, just let that. No, no shade. <laughs> no shade on the QAnon queen here, but you know, and and that's that. I I think that is um, 
I think it's tremendously impactful because this shows us how these things can build. And if you see something in mass media later, when this stuff goes sideways, then you're going to see no shortage of self-appointed experts who were not paying attention to it until about 20 minutes before they went on it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Mm -hmm. The world is happening. It's not happening in a vacuum, and we have to be very careful. That's why strange news and listener mail exist, because we've got to look past. Matt, Noel, you and I were talking about this a little bit offline. You know, uh, the way that news is sort of prepackaged like a microwave meal for people. Here's a very complex situation. We've got four minutes and 30 seconds to tell you, you know. I, I don't know. I think it's dangerous. Uh, really appreciate you, Rich, for for reaching out. Stay safe up there and uh, write to us with more details as things develop. Thought we could end on one more if we got time. Do we have one more? Oh, one? yeah. Okay. All right. So we got a friend um, who, uh, for the sake of anonymity, we'll call the beekeeper. The beekeeper and I got in a little bit of a conversation because the beekeeper is a former attendee of DEFCON. And I pitched you guys on maybe us visiting DEFCON. No. <laughs> so Matt says no. Well, you can't you can't afford a burner phone. Come I'm on. not allowed in those places anymore. All right. Ever since yeah. I got banned for putting Quake on my uh, middle school servers. Oh, sorry. you did? <laughs> I'm sorry. Just joking. Is that a true story? It's a true story. Dude, that's awesome. Power to the people. Nice job, Matt. Uh, so uh, here we go. This is a fun story about getting banned from places. Okay, beekeeper. Uh, <laughs> this is your story about uh, getting banned from Caesar's Palace. Here's how it starts. Uh, beekeeper says, I haven't been to a conference in a few years. I'm not as active in InfoSec as I was. But I would love to get back to DEFCON if I can get my Caesars Palace ban lifted. Also, Beekeeper says, I'm jealous of you all's trip to the Hoover Dam. And I've wanted to go, but I've always been busy when I'm in Vegas. Because he's a beekeeper. <laughs> he's, keeping <laughs> bees. Yeah. he's putting a jar of bees on the blackjack table. Mm. You know? <laughs> he's like, you better put it right in that circle, man, or that yeah. dealer look at you funny. Oh, Those yeah. things make liquid gold out there. Uh, so ask for more details. Beekeeper says, basically, they kicked me out of my room and I kept breaking back in until they escorted me off the property and banned me. They being Caesar's Palace. And then Beekeeper says, I used prepaid cards and cash for DEFCON and they couldn't charge the card. They wouldn't take cash or payment over the phone for incidentals. Again, they being Caesar's Palace. Beekeeper says this was a DEFCON after the mass shooting there in Vegas and was one of the worst DEFCONs because people would come into everyone's room twice a day with or without permission. It was a whole thing. It really pissed off a lot of people. I'm not going there, says Beekeeper, with bank cards or phones that can be stolen or cloned. You get there a few days early. You walk around. You'll find once the conference starts... There are mystery ATMs that appear and disappear after the conference, as well as all kinds of beat me here, doc, as well as all kinds of other f***ery that happens. There is a reason 
DEFCON's open Wi-Fi network is called the most dangerous Wi-Fi in the world. Uh, yeah, I would never in a million years connect to a DEFCON open Wi-Fi. What? Are you crazy? Mm. No, why? Why what? would you connect to any open internet? Oh, just crap. put your social security number on the internet. Just get it, you know, just <laughs> yeah. save, some, save some effort. My some blood type, list of my fears, here's some rare <laughs> genetic diseases. You know what I mean? Stress positions that don't work well with my body. (laughs) (laughs) Right. My opinions on boards and water. Oh, geez. Uh, Yeah. So this was interesting. This is more of a clarion call to anybody who has worked in the hygiene industry, anybody who is interested in sharing their experiences with our fellow conspiracy realists regarding DEF CON on the fence about attending sounds like matt's a hard no i know i think maybe we can sweeten the deal uh, i'm intrigued I just, you know. <laughs> i'll do it if i can leave my cell phone like mm-hmm. in atlanta put mm-hmm. in one of those black box things that dave Chappelle uses you know little, little <laughs> I don't, faraday bag don't <laughs> trust it nope no. Wow. I have to get a burner phone that only the three of us have yeah. access to right don't you already have one of those bro didn't you call me from one and creep me out that one time? that one's done Okay, uh, it's burnt. It's already burnt. Well, that is yeah. a partnership phone. <laughs> Mint Mobile. Get Mint Mobile right now. Sorry. But uh, <laughs> I know seriously like that. It really does terrify me. And I and I identify with uh, this person who, who wrote to you, Ben, because it's just like, I don't trust any of my electronics near anybody with sufficient know-how. <laughs> yeah, I've got enough imaginary friends. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, no new imaginary friends. Yeah. We're very Drake about it, but, uh, but the, uh, uh, of course the next logical question will be, is our pal Jonathan Strickland, AKA the quister of tech stuff fame. Is he going to attend DEF CON with us? He described himself in an email as cautiously curious and definitely would need to take a burner phone. So I pitched to you guys the idea that we all go, Doc, you're in this too, uh, and stay at that, uh, stay somewhere by the Hoover Dam, somewhere in Boulder City. Yeah, okay, you know, yeah. Get out of the heat. That's Durango's interesting. Saloon, perhaps. No, even, what is it? Dillinger's? Dillinger's, yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But even if we were like sufficiently far enough away on the other side of the strip, mm. I might be okay with that, where only a burner phone is on my person ever at a time and cash, cash money. Mm. Well, guys, the only thing that's going to get me back out to Vegas anytime soon is the Sick Sad World Festival featuring System of a Down and Lamb of God and other uh, Alice in Chains, which I guess is they got a new singer now. But yeah, I'd go to that. That'd be fun. But DEFCON sounds second tier fun. It's pretty deaf. It's not most deaf, but it's definitely deaf. So huh? we should we should go uh, we should go check it out. We are also going to go now. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who wrote in. Uh, thank you to Leslie. Thank you to Green Garnet. Thank you to Rich. Thank you to the Beekeeper. Uh, we can't wait to hear your opinions. Keep the stories coming. You are the reason this show exists. And uh, if you want to join up. If we could proselytize a little bit, we promise we're not going to start a cult. We just want to be easy to find online. And I hope that comment doesn't haunt us at DEFCON. We are, in fact, easy to 
find online. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on uh, X, nay, Twitter, um, on Facebook, and on YouTube. On TikTok and Instagram, we go by the handle Conspiracy Stuff Show. Hey, do you like your phone? Why not call our voicemail number? It is 1-833-STDWYTK. You've got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know at some point in that three minutes if we can use your name and message on one of these listener mail episodes. If you don't like using your phone, why not instead use your email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. 